Hi, I'm Leah Dahan. And I'm Yusuf Hassan, and you're listening to Africa Aware, a podcast from the Chatham House Africa program. Welcome back to Africa Aware, and welcome to the second episode of our special Accept series. On this episode, I am once again very lucky to be joined by my colleague and Accept project manager, Leah Dahan. Whilst our keen followers will know exactly what Accept is all about, Leah, are you able to describe what the project seeks to achieve for those that haven't heard of it before? Of course. So Accept stands for Cross-Border Conflict, Evidence, Policy and Trends. And it's funded by UK Aid from the UK government. So for this particular project, we are looking at transnational conflict with the key aim of supporting governments to come up with policies that can prevent and mitigate conflict. And what are we seeking to explore in this episode? So for Accept, we have three different case studies. And today we are looking at the case study that looks at human smuggling and trafficking from East and West Africa into Libya. We're actually taking a deep dive on one of the particular parts of this case study that looks at Agadez in Niger. Whilst it is a waypoint or a transit town for this particular supply chain, it's also a really good example of how supply chains, in this case of human smuggling and trafficking, intersect with conflict. Thanks so much for that overview, Leah. It's great to have you on the episode again. Of course, thanks for having me again. Peter Tinty is a writer, researcher and photographer covering conflict, security, human rights and organised crime with a particular focus on the Sahel, West Africa and Latin America. He is currently a lecturer at the Committee on International Relations at the University of Chicago and is the author with Tuesday Rotano of Migrant, Refugee, Smuggler, Saviour. Hi Peter, thanks so much for joining us on Africa Aware. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for coming to talk to us today. I thought I would jump straight in. So in the discussion today, we're talking about human smuggling and trafficking in Agadez in Niger. So what I thought we could start with is just a question to frame the rest of the conversation, which is what is the history over the last decades of human smuggling and trafficking in Niger? And in particular, why does it make Agadez such an important location to look at? Sure. Well, migration and mobility have long served as an economic necessity for many communities that live in the Sahel and Sahara. And cities like Agadez at the southern edge of the Sahara in northern Niger have long served as a crossroads that link West Africa to North Africa and vice versa. And so in the 1990s and 2000s in particular, some organized networks coalesced around the transportation, particularly of West African migrants from Agadez, Niger, towards both Algeria and Libya. And the actors involved in facilitating this transport were doing so in a manner that is technically illegal and would probably accurately be described as irregular. But they weren't really considered migrant smugglers. And these patterns of migration, again, from Agadez to, to North Africa, while illegal, weren't really clandestine. It was happening out in the open and it was an important part of everyday life for people who live in Agadez and also the way in which migrants from West Africa would reach North Africa, often for labor and employment opportunities, but also a smaller subset of these migrants would be seeking onward maritime passage to Europe. So those are the images that we often see in the media of boats having departed from the North African coast, trying to reach the European territory. Migrant departures from Agadez and, and through Agadez towards North Africa really accelerated in 2014 and 2015. So at that point, there were thousands of migrants leaving Agadez for Libya every week. And this massive increase in activity 
was a huge boon for the local economy. The prosperity that was being generated from the revenues that, that migrants brought uh, spread throughout society in Agadez. It wasn't just the transporters and the smugglers who were making money. It was also people who worked in these ancillary economies. So like restaurant owners and shop owners, people who ran hostels or hotels or provided housing for migrants. So it really animated the entire economy of Agadez. And these economic benefits also extended into the public sector. So even the security forces and local authorities were collecting rents and taxing vehicles and deriving benefits from this migration economy and actually publicly promoting the benefits that these revenues provided for both the local community and also for local government. Thanks so much for that insight there, Peter. To follow up, in 2015, we saw the passing of anti-human smuggling law, which of course impacted human smuggling trafficking from Agadez. How exactly did this manifest itself? Well, the passage of the anti-human smuggling law, and this law also included human trafficking in 2015, was quite controversial locally. It takes place within the context of the way in which particularly European states had come to view the issue of, you know, air quotes, mass migration from Africa to Europe. So over the last decade, the proliferation of jihadist insurgencies combined with fears over mass arrivals of African migrants to Europe have pushed the Sahel and the broader region in which Niger is located higher up the European Union agenda and the agendas of individual states in Europe. And migration was increasingly framed within the context of security. Part of the reason Agadez emerged as such a hub of migrant smuggling activity is actually tied to the collapse of the Libyan state during the last decade as well. So prior to the collapse of the, the Libyan state, several European states, in particular Italy, had worked with and partnered with then uh, Libyan strongman Muammar Gaddafi to prevent boats from departing the Mediterranean coast. So Gaddafi had been a useful and credible ally in preventing maritime departures that linked North Africa to European territory. With Gaddafi gone and not really having a partner to work with, the EU looked further south and devoted significant resources towards combating irregular migration and migrant smuggling in Niger. And this was at a time when Agadez in particular had been identified as the key transit point through which the vast majority of migrants from West Africa who were arriving in Italy had passed through. So in May 2015, the government in Niger, in direct consultation with its European counterparts, passed an anti-smuggling law that had the impact of criminalizing irregular transport out of Agadez. So this meant anyone who was transporting migrants from Agadez, Niger, north towards the Libyan border, could be credibly accused of migrant smuggling. Um, this was even though that the vast majority of migrants who were transiting through Niger were in Niger legally. This is in part due to the fact that anyone who is a citizen of a state that's part of ECOWAS, the Economic Community of West African States, can travel freely to other ECOWAS members, and Niger is a member of ECOWAS. So, it had the impact of basically criminalizing an activity that previously had been legal and only really became illegal or irregular once transporters and migrants crossed the Libyan border. So the law wasn't really implemented that harshly or systemically after it was passed. 
these migrant convoys were still leaving the city of Agadez. But in 2016, under considerable pressure from European leaders, Nigerian authorities did carry out mass arrests and mass confiscation of vehicles. Uh, they targeted alleged migrant smugglers. And this did succeed in shattering the migrant smuggling industry. Routes were quickly displaced and proliferated into other parts of Niger. But it's undeniable that the stated impact or stated goal of this law was successful, at least in the short term, in, like I said, shattering the migrant smuggling networks and economy of Niger. Thank you so much for that, Peter. I really like the use of the word shattering, because from what I understand and from conversations we've had previously, a lot of it was that this trade became very fragmented and used different routes where uh, maybe perhaps that wasn't the case previously. I just wanted to ask you if you could maybe draw out this point a little bit further. So if the human smuggling and trafficking practices in Agadez changed a lot, what did that look like practically within the city? Like, Were there different actors involved? Did the process of moving from location A to location B change? How did this change the situation on the ground? Sure. Well, fundamentally, migrant smugglers exist because there's demand for their services, right? So this law did a lot to make it harder to provide that service because it pushed this activity that was happening out in the open and in many ways with the full knowledge, if not complicity, of local authorities to something clandestine and underground. The law does not, however, engage any of the drivers of irregular migration. So the reasons that people want to go from West Africa to Libya weren't really covered or engaged by this law. There have been other programs to try to reduce the number of migrants who, who seek to travel irregularly to Europe, but those really haven't yielded many results because we're talking about big structural global issues that of, of why people want to migrate. So within Agadez, the actual impact was that because there were still demand for smuggler services, they just couldn't be provided in the same way. The actors who weren't arrested or who chose, who were arrested and released and chose to continue working in this sector, their activities were just pushed further underground and it forced a, a massive recalibration of how they operate. So Agadez, the city is still a hub of migrant smuggling activity, but it happens in a much more discreet manner. Agadez might arrive in the city and then link up with smugglers who move them to smaller towns and cities in the area. I should say towns and villages in the area from where trips are organized. So rather than leaving in these large, massive convoys every week, the smugglers moving migrants might uh, assemble a small group in a village 40, 50 kilometers from Agadez and then depart from there. This also means that they have to take uh, more circuitous routes through the desert, which has had an impact on, on human security that I think we'll touch on later. But for the purposes of, of how it impacted Agatez, it totally changed the modus operandi of the migrant smugglers, but it also had a tremendous economic impact. So there was tremendous economic fallout because, like I said, not only did the people directly involved in migrant smuggling lose their livelihood, and of course this extends to their, their families and the people who are supported by these livelihoods, it also impacted all of the other actors in Agadez who were affiliated with this industry in a non-direct way. Again, talking about like restaurant owners, shop owners, money lender, people who made money housing and providing all sorts of services to migrants, they had lost their livelihood as well. 
Once again, thank you so much, Peter, for your explanation there. The question that many who don't have a great understanding of the Sahel or the region generally itself will ask is, why is Niger such a focal point for European countries? As I said, absent a partner in Libya to work with to prevent maritime departures from North Africa to European territory, the European Union has increasingly just looked for other parts along the traditional itineraries towards North Africa to try to manage mixed migration patterns. So Agadez was an obvious choice, both because of its geography, but also because it had become the key transit point for the vast majority of West African migrants who were transiting towards Libya. There are also other considerations. I mean, Niger is a, has been a willing ally to the European Union and individual member states in helping combat the rise of jihadist groups in the region. It's very much considered a stable or semi-stable um, state in, in a region that has been beset by instability in recent years. The government has also been an ally in terms of pushing back against a lot of the anti-French and anti-Western narratives that have proliferated in the region in recent years. And it's a democracy. I mean, it has had changes of power through an electoral process that, while not necessarily perfect, many consider to be relatively free and fair and, and legitimate. So all of this makes Niger a useful partner and a focal point for European activity in the region. I should add that this effort to combat migrant smuggling, many European states and, and European agencies have actually used the language of a model or a pilot or even a laboratory for these types of activities. So as irregular migration increasingly becomes a more important political issue in Europe and is considered a security issue by European policymakers, these tactics or methods or approaches to reducing irregular migration through partnering with transit states, that is not states where migrants necessarily come from, but the states where they pass through, has been an increasingly popular tactic for European policymakers. Amazing. Thank you so much for that very detailed response, Peter. I think one of the things, as you know, that we're picking up on in the Accept project more generally is how supply chains such as that of human smuggling and trafficking, relate to conflict and the externalities of conflict. So I was wondering if you could pick up on that dimension of the conversation a little bit more as well. So how does human smuggling and trafficking across Niger relate to conflict and violence? And just wondering if you could draw on a couple of examples of direct violence and community harms that you identified in your Accept research. So when it comes to migrant smuggling and human trafficking, most of the conversation thus far, I've focused on migrant smuggling, but human trafficking is also an important issue in Niger. Migrant smuggling and human trafficking are often conflated or treated as one in the same, but they're actually different crimes that have different dynamics to them. And in the case of Niger, there's not a ton of overlap necessarily between the migrant smuggling economies and the patterns of human trafficking, but there is some overlap. And in particular, this manifests itself in oftentimes women from Nigeria being trafficked through Niger and the traffickers that move Nigerian women from Nigeria to Libya for onward passage to Europe often use the, the same migrant smuggling infrastructure to move them during that leg of the journey. So that's one very clear way in which there's an interaction between migrant smuggling and the migrant smuggling economy. 
and human trafficking, which is an inherently exploitative and often violent endeavor. But there are also linkages between migrant smuggling and we could say responses to migrant smuggling that have contributed to varying levels of what for the ACCEPT project we're calling competitive violence and structural violence. With migrant smuggling, the levels of competitive violence are actually pretty low. There's not a lot of armed competition or violent competition between different smugglers for control over the migrant smuggling economy. But there have been some examples of, of minimal competition, often between competing communities based on ethnicity that have sought to, in some ways, corner the market or achieve a, a larger portion of the market. There's more actually cases of violence in the form of, of banditry. So Northern Niger is witnessing an increase in banditry throughout the country. And this has sometimes manifested itself in vehicles that are transporting migrants being targeted by bandits. And then the migrants themselves are either robbed or exploited or in some terrible cases left in the desert to, to die. Another example of an increase in violence or human insecurity, we might say, comes in the form of smugglers now taking more dangerous and circuitous routes and using more dangerous methods. So as I had stated previously, there used to be these convoys that would leave Agadez every week with trucks full of migrants, and these convoys actually had a military escort. So it was a very organized endeavor that didn't really carry a ton of risk beyond the normal risks that might come with transiting the Sahara Desert. Now, because they don't have this level of organization and because they have to operate in the shadows, migrant smugglers use more dangerous routes that evade detection altogether and often leave in smaller groups of just two or three cars or in some instances, even one car. So the margin for error, should something go wrong, is much smaller. And several human rights organizations and international uh, organizations who, who track these issues have concluded that this has led to an increase in migrant deaths in the desert. So while the migrant smuggling economy has been diminished in the broader sense, the number of migrants who are dying as a percentage of those who cross the Sahara Desert has likely increased. There's also some other forms of structural violence we might identify. An important one here is the ways in which livelihoods have been lost by this blunt instrument of criminalizing um, migrant smuggling and mobility north of Agadez. Additionally, the mass arrests that were carried out in 2016 had a negative impact in, in that they exposed a lot of actors who were either rightly or wrongly associated with the migrant smuggling economy to the Nigerian justice system in a way that seemed very arbitrary and not based on any consistent application of the rule of law. So several smugglers that we spoke to for this project who had been arrested claimed that they were unfairly targeted, that they were thrown in jail but never really got a, a fair process that certain smugglers who maybe were more well-connected were able to evade any, any such sanction or arrest. So that contributed to an overall sense that this law was being applied unfairly or not in a, in a way that is really indicative of an effective rule of law that applies equally to everyone. And then a final impact here is that because this is a law that was developed and implemented very much at the behest of the European Union, Within the broader context of Niger partnering with the EU on a range of issues, such as economic development, 
security assistance, humanitarian assistance. This law and these efforts to combat migrant smuggling very much fed into narratives that have been longstanding in northern Niger, that the government in the capital of Niamey, which is in southern Niger, does not have their interests at heart. That at the end of the day, the government is doing the bidding of external powers rather than looking out for the interests of the local communities who have been partaking in these types of mobility economies for decades and generations. Thank you so much for that, Peter. I think it's really interesting to see the different ways in which it relates to conflict and violence, not just for the communities in question that you've been studying in particular in Agadez, but also how this moves across the whole supply chain from Nigeria and then all the way through into Libya. So I think there's lots to pick up on there, all of which, of course, we will be picking up in a number of forthcoming publications on Accept over the next couple of years. Thank you so much for joining us, Peter. Thank you for having me. And that brings us to an end of this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please do subscribe to us on the platform you're listening to us on. And do leave a review, as that will allow others to find this podcast easier. I've been your host, Yusuf Hassan, joined by my colleague, Leah Dehan. Goodbye.